you know, I had a, uh, I was, I had a conversation here, actually a couple different conversations. I, I get asked this all the time. And, you know, I've been thinking about it. Uh, you know, somebody was asking, what are you preaching on these days? And so I said, I'm, I'm preaching on filled and overflowing about being filled with the Spirit of God, you know, and, and, and I don't want to read into their reaction, but I thought about it and I wasn't thinking about them, but I was thinking about in general, the church today in general. And what, what I find is, is that when you talk to people about being filled with the Spirit of God, there's usually two reactions, okay? Number one, they don't even know what you're talking about. Nobody knows what we're talking about anymore. I mean, you hear about it. Maybe you've heard about it as far as something in a charismatic church or something. But in general, we don't, we don't talk about being filled with the Spirit anymore. We haven't for a long time. Now, I'm going to tell you that's not always been true. Just hold on to it. We don't talk about it. And number two, the general reaction I find is, is like, nobody cares. Like, what's, what's that got to do with anything? Why bother? And I'll tell you where that's coming from. That's coming from, can I be honest with you, a level of ignorance that has embraced the church concerning the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the church and in your life. Because a lot of folks would say, oh, that's wonderful, George, you're preaching on that, but I don't think I need that. Well, no, I don't think you realize, okay? I don't think you realize. In fact, I'm going to give you a quote that I read last night. You know, we were at a family gathering, and, uh, you know, it was one of those, actually, we were waiting for the family gathering to start, and I was looking up something for a news, the newsletter we were going to do here. And I was looking at the life of D.L. Moody. Now, who is D.L. Moody? Dwight Lyman Moody was an evangelist in the 1800s, a very well-known evangelist. In fact, he was the Billy Graham of his day. And in fact, hundreds and thousands of people came to Christ through his ministry, okay? And so he had a major impact on North America and even in, into England with his ministry. But I want you to hear what he said. So, the, so when we talk about the filling of the Spirit, we're not talking about something new. It's actually something that we used to talk about all the time, but really, in the last 40, 50 years, we haven't talked about it very much because we're trying to figure out how to do church on our own. Okay, so listen to what he says. Moody wrote, I think it's clearly taught in Scripture that every believer has the Holy Ghost. Now, he's using the word Holy Ghost because, again, in that time, the only Bible they had was the King James, and the King James, instead of Holy Spirit, will say Holy Ghost. Okay, so let me read it again. I think it's clearly taught in the Scripture that every believer has the Holy Ghost dwelling in him. He may be quenching the Spirit of God. He may not be glorifying God as it should be. But if he's a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost dwells in him. Though Christian men and women have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, yet he is not dwelling in them in power. In other words, God has great many sons and daughters without power. He continues, The Holy Spirit in us is one thing. The Holy Spirit on us 
is another. We all need it, the filling of the Spirit, together. Let us not rest day nor night till we possess it. If that's the uppermost thought in our hearts, God will give it to us if we just hunger and thirst for it and say, God helping me, I will not rest until endowed with power from on high. The disciples of Jesus were filled with the Spirit, and the word was published. Now, again, this is 18th century language, meaning proclaimed. The word was proclaimed. And when the Spirit of God came down upon the church, we are anointed, and the word will be published in the streets. Again, use the word proclaimed. Proclaimed in the streets. In the lanes and in the alleys. There will not be a dark cellar or a dark attic, nor a home where the gospel will not be carried by some loving heart if the Spirit comes upon God's people in demonstration and in power. See, this is what, what's he saying here? What he's saying is, when we talk about the filling of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit is for one purpose. In fact, Jesus said that. Acts chapter 8. You know, he tells them, I'm going to obey. But you wait in Jerusalem and pray. And what? I will send a comforter. What did he say? And you, the spirit and the power will come upon you and you will be my what? Witnesses. It's for you to share the gospel with others. For your life to be real to others, there is a need for the filling. So this is what we've been talking about. This is the fifth message now. We've been talking about the need for the filling of the Spirit of God in our lives. And if you go back to those messages, and they're available, if you have a church app, you can listen to them there. If you go to the church website, you can listen to them there. You say, George, I I don't use the app, but I don't go to the website. I want to hear those messages again. You just come up and talk to me. We'll get you the CDs. But if you look at those messages, you'll notice in your bulletin, I'm going to make two points here that you need to understand. Number one, the Lord sets before us a path to fullness with the Holy Spirit. When you think back through the messages, when you think about through the Scripture, first of all, he commands us to be filled. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. It's a command that you and I be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Now, you say, okay, great, wonderful, but how do we get there? We've been talking about this, and all I got is frustration, and all I got is, you know, I, I can't do it, and, and, and I got this desire for it, but I'm, I'm just frustrated, and I just want to throw it aside. I've tried before. It isn't happening. Well, what you need to understand is that the Lord sets before us a path to the fullness of the Spirit. There's a, there is a progression now, I shared this progression on, on Thursday night. If you come to a refresh, we still talk about this and we pray about this. Now, I'm going to put this up on the screen one point at a time. And I'm going to help you to understand what the other messages were doing and where we're going today. Okay? So let's put, put up the first point. Thirst. What you need to understand is, is this path that God has created for us towards the fullness of the Spirit starts out with thirst. Now, for those of you who were at Refresh, I use the word desire. 
I decided I'd use a more biblical word. Thirst. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? If you drink of this water, you'll never what? Thirst again? But let's be honest. When we talk about our Christian lives today, talk about most of us, maybe this is true for you, no, this is true for me, most of us are thirsty for something more. We're thirsty because we're like, surely this is not Christianity. Surely it's not just taking a Sunday morning and coming to church, singing some songs, listening to some dude talk, slapping each other on the back, saying we all love each other, getting in the vehicle, saying, boy, that was a waste, and we're out of here. That's, that can't be truly it. And I'm trying to say to you that it's not. There's something so much more. So much more. Because to many of us, Christianity is just that one hour, and then I go on and do what I need to do for the rest of my week, dealing with the stuff that I'm dealing with, and maybe thinking about God, praying if I'm in a crisis or if I need a parking place. But within you, you've got this thirst a craving. Now, within each of us, it's at varying degrees. Some of you, it's intense. Some of you, it's there. Some of you, you've stifled it. Some of you, because of disappointment of trying to see it fulfilled before, have given up. But the reality is it starts off with a thirst. Now, here's the second point. Frustration. Because here you are, And then here comes Pastor George. What you need is the fullness of the Spirit in your life. And I've explained what that is. In spite of all the different things that are out there, it's not something weird. It's not something kooky. Nothing weird is going to happen to you. You're not going to crawl on all fours, bark like a dog, or swoop off off the back of the pew like an eagle. You're not going to do any of that. Okay. Although there are some people that do. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about he'll send another comforter to guide you and direct you, and, and you want to live your life for him, but here's the problem. You get frustrated because you've got this thirst, and you know it's Jesus. How do you get there? You know it's the Holy Spirit. How do you get there? Because every time you try, you mess up. And the frustration isn't God hiding himself. It's you. And your sin, and the stuff you do wrong, and the wrong attitudes, and giving in to the desires of your body all the time. Frustration. And we've talked about that, right? We're pretty frustrated. And if, and you know what I'm talking about, because every one of us, you've got something you've been trying to deal with for a long time, and it doesn't matter how much you've tried to deal with it, You just keep being ensnared in it. And so some of you, you've learned just to live with it. And you've adjusted your life to it. Frustration. Which brings us to where we were last week. Realization. This is where you come to the place, like Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? You know, remember he said earlier, all the good that I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. It's like this frustration and you come to realization, I can't 
do it. But he says what in chapter 7, verse 24 and 25? But thanks be to Christ Jesus and God. You come to a realization that the only one who's going to take you to that place of fullness is who? Jesus. Now, how can I say that? Well, remember I shared with you Galatians chapter 3, I think it's verse 3, where he talks about, oh, foolish Galatians. And he says, who has fooled you? And why do you who have begun in the Spirit think that you can now be perfected by the flesh? He's trying to say, you began in the Spirit. You began in faith. But somewhere along the line, you and I, we bought a lie thinking that the way to be a Christian now is by all the stuff that we do. But no, you have to do it by faith as well. Jesus is the one who saved you. Jesus is the one who will show grace to you by giving you, he's already given you his spirit by filling you with his spirit. So that brings us to the fourth point, which is what we're going to talk about today. Surrender. Surrender. How you get there is by surrendering. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, that word almost is un-American. Because you don't surrender. You give it your all. You play to the, even if you're 50 points behind, you play till you're going to drop, like you're going to win this thing. And the whole concept is, is foreign to us because of our pride. But here's the thing. And we're going to see that that's a key component here is that we got to swallow our pride because we realize that Jesus is the only one who can bring us there. We have to surrender to him for him to bring us there. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Surrender. And there are several different components of surrendering. And we're going to kind of take a broad overview today from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 through 15. Now, verse 14 is commonly, you'll hear it on a Christian radio, but I'll be honest with you, the way they repeat it on the Christian radio is out of context, and it has nothing to do with what they are talking about. Usually when you hear this verse, it's talking about America coming back to God. I'm going to tell you right now, that is not a proper translation. That fits somebody's agenda, but that doesn't fit the agenda of God, because what you're going to see here, and I'll explain it to you, that this passage had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the nation Israel, which we would say is the people of God. So therefore, we can learn principles from it because we are the people of God. All right? Not America, but the church. So I want you to notice with me. We're going to start with verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land and send pestilence among you, among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. 
Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. So here's the setting. This is a vision that God came to Solomon right after the dedication of the temple that Solomon built. The dedication of the temple. If you read earlier, you'll see where the presence of God and a cloud came down upon the temple and God's presence was there. And it was the place of worship for all of the nation. And God came to him in a dream. And there's a whole lot more to this dream, because you can read it a little bit further, beyond verse 15, where he warns Solomon, if you turn away from me, there'll be judgment. But he says to them, you know what? I'm here, and if if my people, when they turn away from me, and I bring things into their life, if they come back to me, I will be there for them. And this is a great verse. This is a great verse to talk about the filling of the Spirit in our lives, to talk about, can I be honest with you, what we should call it is revival. Being made alive again. Each one of us, myself included, being made alive again in God. So we're going to go through these verses, 12 through 15, and I'm going to give you several points for you to think about when it comes to the issue of surrender. So notice with me. First of all, here's what's going on. The way to fullness, surrender. Here it is. Number one, the Lord is trying to get your attention. That's what verse 13 is talking about. He says, Solomon, when tough times come, when pestilence happens, when locusts show up and eat your crops... I'm trying to get your attention. He said the same thing in Haggai. Remember, I mentioned this verse last to you last week. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. I want you to understand, sometimes the Bible makes it very clear that the difficult things happen in your life, not because you just live in this world, but but sometimes because God's trying to get your attention. God's trying to make sure you understand that you can't do life alone. You need him. So the first thing we see out of this passage is is that the Lord is trying to get your attention. You know, one of the frustrating things for us as leaders in this church is as we, we look at so many different things, it seems like, You know, we just get through one phase and we're looking forward to doing some things here and boom, something else happens. And it's just frustrating. Until you begin to wonder and you begin to think, you know, just as soon as we get through another problem, something else happens. Somebody trying to get our attention? God, are you, are you trying to get our attention? Because this is your church. You can do anything. Don't we believe God can do anything? Owns a cattle on a thousand hills, right? God, sell off a herd. Don't give us any more than we need, but we need some help. And it just seems relentless. Is, is God trying to get our attention? 
This is what he's saying. He said, you know, I, I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your, of your hands. You know, I think about that one part. I think about so many things. You know, we've, we've come together as leaders and we said, you know, let's, let's do this activity. Let's, let's do this activity. We'll see what we can do and we'll do the activity and we'll be so disappointed because of the response. Like that didn't make sense. God, wh- why didn't you bless that? Why didn't we see something happening there? And all the labors of our hands. And we never, I think until recently, we never clued in that maybe God was saying to you, maybe what you need to do is seek me. Seek me. Here's the second point. I gave it to you earlier, a little bit out of touch, but we have to be willing to humble ourselves. Look at what he says there, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Now let me explain to you what hum- humility is. Humility is not being mealy-moused and saying, you know, I, I'm just, everybody else is more important than me. No, because you can even do that with pride. Humility is recognizing who you truly are before the living God. And you can't really sit there and say, well, you know, I'm doing okay before you, God. No, you're not. Nobody here can stand before the living God and say that we're doing okay, right? Do you know what I mean? Nobody. Humility is recognizing where you're really at. In fact, if you want to know what it's like to be in front of the living God, just read some of the passages from the Bible. Isaiah, as soon as he meets God, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. He realizes, I got problems. John, the revelator, when he sees Jesus glorified, what does he do? Falls on his face as dead. He realizes he's nothing. The problem is, is that, can I be honest with you, we've long since given up really deciding who we really are, and we've bought into the lies that we often think about ourselves. We've bought into them, that we're doing okay. But the reality is, is we're not doing okay. We're spiritually bankrupt. That's why we're frustrated. And he's saying the path to fullness, if you want to get there where you, you're, you're thirsty for God and you're thirsty for him working in your life, the path to get there is, number one, recognize he's trying to get your attention. Number two, you've got to do something first. And the first thing you've got to do is swallow your stinking pride and say to him, I'm not as good as I think I am, God, when I'm compared with you. And I need you. I don't have it that together. Uh, folks, can I, can I inform you of a secret? You don't have it together. I know that's shocking some of you. You're picking yourself off the floor. Like, how dare he tell me that? I'm saying that to myself. You don't have it together. Now, there's some spouses here. I told them. I told them. No, no, you don't have it together either, okay? Okay? You don't have it together either. So you you have to be willing to humble ourselves. Notice the next thing it says there. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves 
and pray. Here's the second thing. This is what I think is missing. We have to be persistent in prayer. Hey, stop for a moment. Do you ever want something so bad? Did you ever want something so bad that you would you would do whatever it took to get it? You ever been there? Okay? You would you would strategize, you would save money, you would adjust your schedule. Do you know what I'm saying? To get it? You ever been there? If you're a human being, you would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember meeting this young lady at a Super Bowl party in 1991 and being told by my friends, don't even bother asking. She says, no. And I had a roommate who's now a financial guy down in Florida. He and I, he said, I'll help you. We strategized how to get a date with her. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It took nine, ten months. Do you think I wanted a date with her? Here in another couple of weeks, we're going to be married 25. We have to be persistent like that. You want that thirst quenched in your life? Do you? Isn't just going to, all of a sudden, one day, there's going to be a glass of water and that'll take care of it. It's only going to be satisfied by God. But we don't even talk to him. Except when we need a parking spot at Walmart. Right? Or him to take care of some bill that came in the mail. Or hoping that cop who's coming the other direction when you're going a little bit faster didn't have the radar on. Make me invisible, Lord. Right? That's our concept of prayer, isn't it? But we have to be, he says, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that is, 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 you know, get rid of that pride and pray, persistently pray, and seek his face. That's the next point. Seek his face. What's that talking about? Well, our prayers need to be intense as we seek God's intervention. You're not just praying, you're seeking his face. That's like, have, have you ever, you ever been on the phone with Amazon and they messed up your order? This happens a lot. And you're on the phone with them and you're talking to the whatever person on the end, other person on the end, and they're just not giving you any satisfaction. And then you're like, you're there to get an answer, right? So what do you say next? Can I talk to your supervisor? Why? Because you're seeking to have a face-to-face or voice-to-voice with somebody who's going to settle it, right? That's the same concept here. I mean, we're not just kind of like tossing prayers up in the air. You are like, it says in Hebrews, coming boldly in the throne room of grace 
and letting your requests be made known to God and seeking his grace. You are seeking his face because you are wanting him to answer you, so you are intense about it. Because you want, you want what's being offered. And it's being offered. But how badly do you want it? He goes on. Here's the other component of who will seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. That's dealing with your sin. We've talked about that before. But here's the other one. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You need to believe that he will hear you. See, that's where faith comes in. Okay, stop. I want you to think with me for a moment. I want to make it as practical as possible. Okay, all right. Would everybody agree that God has commanded us to be filled with the Spirit of God? Boy, the coffee did not flow this morning. Yes. Okay, let me say it again. Would everybody agree? Okay, all right. So obviously if he is commanding you to be filled, is that something God wants for you? So there you are, you decide, yes, I'm thirsty for it. I want that. I'm sucking in my pride. God, I I need you. And you're praying, but you're not just in praying, you are praying with intensity. God, I need you to bring me there. And you're dealing with the sin in your life. You're confessing it before him. Here's the next question. So is he going to hold out on you? Is he? Do you really believe that, though? See, that's where faith comes in. Faith comes in, I've asked him to fill me. I'm asking him to fill me. This is what he wants for me. Now the question is, is do I believe that he'll hear me? And that's really the next part of surrender. It's coming to the place where you say, yes, Lord, you hear me. I believe that you will hear me. And in your time, you'll do it. I would encourage you, uh, you know, if you're on the email list for the newsletter on May the 30th, 31st, whatever the the newsletter comes out. There, we have a new section in the newsletter now called Stories of Faith and Fullness. And the first story is Dwight Lyman Moody, who I quoted to you earlier. I'll, I'll just give you the synopsis. I want you to read the story on your own. But two old Methodist women came to Moody when he was, he was with the YMCA. Back then, the YMCA was not about being fit. YMCA was about spirituality. And they came to Moody and, and said that they were praying for him for a hit for the fullness of the Spirit in his life. And he at first, not knowing what that meant, because that's where we are today, was like, well, no, 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 you need to pray that people come to know Jesus. And they said, no, no, we need to pray for the fullness so that more people can come to know Jesus. So he started praying with them, and he prayed with them, You'll read the story about that. Then 
I think a, either a few weeks later or a couple months later, he was on his way getting ready to go to England, and he was walking down Wall Street and 52nd Street in New York, and he had the Spirit of God answered him while he was walking down the street and came upon him. He said it was so intense, he realized that he needed to get alone, so he went to a friend's house and said, can I have a room? Can I, can I use one of your rooms? And so he went into the room, and he stayed there for several hours just praying. And he said the joy that filled his life. He said God filled him with such joy. Not some of this weird stuff you see, just filled him with joy. Until finally he had to say to God, the joy was so overwhelming, he said he had to say to God, God, please take your hand from me, or I'll die. You ever thought of being filled with joy so much that you think you're going to die? And here's what they said. They said, Moody, after that experience, first of all, number one, he hardly ever talked about it with anybody. So it wasn't a flash-in-the-pan showy thing. He never talked about it with anybody, hardly. But they said, Moody, after that time period, he preached the same type of sermons. His sermons didn't change. But the outcome of the sermons changed. Because now when he preached, he preached with a power he never had before. And people came to Christ. People were changed. Families were healed. Nothing changed in how he presented himself. What changed was, is now God was speaking through him. Now my question to you is, is do you believe he'll hear you when you ask that? Remember, I just read to you earlier where he's saying, for every one of us, we need it, right? So that when we do that, the gospel is, he says the word, published but proclaimed. Here's the other thing I want you to see. One final point. It comes out of verse 15. This verse is for you and I today. Listen to what it says. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. He's talking about the temple. God is saying, I'm here in the midst of you, in the temple, and I'm listening. And I'm waiting. In fact, that's the point. The Lord is waiting for you to seek his fullness in your life. Now, I was processing that. I thought, wow, Lord. And immediately, my mind went to Corinthians, where Paul tells the Corinthians, the church, something that I think we need to hear today. And he says this, and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Talking about the church. All right, what, what has that got to do with it? All right, let's go back to what it says there in verse 15. All right, folks, do you realize that when we gather here, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Why? Because you, the believers who have the Holy Spirit, are gathered in one place. Now listen to this verse again, verse 15. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. What? The temple. Here's what I'm going to say to you, folks. 
I do not think that we're going through this series just because I had to preach on something. I think it's because God wants to do something with this group of people. But you have to be ready to be willing to be available for him to do it. And he's been communicating to you that I want to fill you. I want to empower you. I want to interact in your life. Remember, we talked about all the different things that the Holy Spirit will do in our lives. He's given you the Holy Spirit, but we've been quenching him. We've been grieving him with our sin, and we're frustrated about that. But the key thing is go back to the, if my people who will what? Humble themselves. That's part of realization. You humble yourself. And what? Pray and seek my face with an intensity and turn from their wicked ways, then what? I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. And then he says, verse 25, I'm in this place. I'm listening. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to seek it. Now, the question is, is are you willing to seek it? you got to make that decision. Let me pray for you.